When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Hot Tottenham. We've got quite a bit to the to discuss today, haven't we? I mean, we've got Saturday's nil-nil draw against Brentford, but since then, what's dominated the headlines has been Antonio Conte's future at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium amid talk that he could be heading to the French capital in the summer and then also possibility of a return for Maurizio Pochettino to N17. So lots on the agenda today. Joining me as ever, Alistair Gold. Ali, I think you've got a fair bit to say today, haven't you? <laughs> just a little bit. Just, I just want to check, are you okay? Because obviously, you know, Everton now in the bottom three. Just want to check in on you. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine. I'm good. fine. Good, good. I was going to say, when it comes to Tottenham, it's like, I must admit, I probably did expect that we were just going to be talking about a very frustrating nil-nil draw at Brentford. But what was I thinking? It's Tottenham Hotspur. Of course, there's going to be loads of other stuff chucked at us in recent days that we're going to talk about. And uh, yeah, there might be, I apologise in advance, people. There may be a few little rants from me coming um, because, yeah, because it's Tottenham. And because of, I don't know, they seem to like picking managers that there's always a little bit of, I suppose it's drama, the right word to say. There's always noise around. That's probably the, maybe the best way to say it. But yeah, go on. Where, where do you want to kick us off this week? Where should we go? Let's go to Paris. I think that's uh, <laughs> the uh, the main topic of this. You're saying that that's what Antonio's saying? I'm not Let's saying that, Paris. but we'll uh, we'll find out in a few weeks' time, I think. Uh, so, yeah, over the weekend, there was a report in French publication Le Parisien basically saying Conte's offered himself to PSG uh, for next season. And then since then, there's just been so much talk about will he go, won't he go. Uh, at the weekend, PSG won the French title. The following day, it was they were then reporting uh, Poch is going to be on his way despite uh, winning uh, the trophy, and that's led to plenty of speculation that uh, he could be returning to Tottenham two and a half years after his exit. So, first of all, Ali, do you want to just give us the latest on the current situation regarding Antonio Conte? Because I know yesterday you did uh, a report on the latest and most importantly. Uh, about his contract at Tottenham. Yeah. I mean, at first time, I just want to say, the thought of someone offering themselves, it's just, it's just, it's just the most <laughs> stupid kind of visualisation I get of that. I just imagine him banging on the doors, you know, in the stadium. Oh, take me, take me. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those stories where, and this is with no disrespect meant to anyone, because there, there could, of course, be some element of truth in there somewhere in intermediaries or whatever. However... You know, <laughs> it's one of those where Conte is highly likely to say, no, there's nothing in that at this moment. I'm the Tottenham Hotspur head coach. Everyone around him that I've spoken to has said, no, 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 no. 
Because they have to. Because Antonio Conte is a contracted manager of Tottenham Hotspur. PSG have a contracted manager in Mauricio Pochettino. And, you know, Antonio Conte does not have a break clause in his contract. He doesn't. There is no clause for him to get out. I'm sure he and Daniel Levy maybe have had a chat at some point, And Daniel Levy might have said, and this is just a massive wild guess. This is not saying this actually happened. But, you know, there may have been a conversation where he said, oh, well, you know, if you don't like it in the summer, then you're free to leave. We know that that's never the case. If it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. Um, a certain Tottenham striker is fully aware that, that I know this term, gentleman's agreement. It means nothing in football, absolutely nothing. So all we know is that his contract has no break clause in it. So immediately, Antonio Conte is contracted to Tottenham Hotspur until the end of next season. And after that, there's an option for another year. I have a feeling that both sides have to agree to that. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I think both sides have to agree for that to be invoked. Um, and yeah, Mauricio Pochettino, despite lots of speculation that he is about to, um, you know, unfortunately be uh, removed as PSG boss just a week after they've won the uh, title, which is obviously the way it works there. Um, he is still the coach there, still the manager. So yes, I don't think if anyone is expecting Antonio Conte in his press conference on Friday to go, yeah, it's true. <laughs> yes, yes, PSG is where I want to be. It's you know it's it's very unlikely to work like that, you know. Now 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 you know what's going to happen, don't you? He's going to say that in the press conference and shock everyone, and then just just point at me and laugh like Nelson from The Simpsons. Um, but yeah, it's it's just it's just a crazy story, and I think if I was you know the Tottenham fans, they must just think, why us? Why with every time with a few games, crucial games left of the season, does stuff like this come out and happen to us? And I completely get that frustration. Last year it was Harry Kane and the interview with Gary Neville. And, you know, and I'm sure there's been ones in the past as well. I feel like there's been other moments where that's happened. Little bits and pieces about people's futures have suddenly come out of the woodwork just when you really don't want them to. And it just feels like another one of these situations. Look. The exact setup with Conte, what is going to happen? It's been the same thing that's going to be happening throughout the rest of the season. It's the same thing that Conte has said himself. At the end of this season, he will sit down with Daniel Levy and Fabio Paratici and they will discuss what happens next. They will have a meeting to talk about targets, to talk about the realities of what Tottenham can actually do compared to the ambition that Conte has. They will talk, no doubt, about Harry Kane and what's going to happen with Harry Kane, you know, Tottenham's star player for next season. Um, and then after that meeting, they will decide what happens next, whether we get Antonio Conte being rather vocal in probably, let's be honest, Italian media as he goes home about what he didn't like about the meeting, no doubt will come out. Um, or there could be it could be the flip side of he may feel that he's going to get backed. Look, you and I have said this a million, uh, million times. If Tottenham decide at this point in time, nah, we're probably not going to back Antonio Conte, then it would be the most ridiculous moment perhaps in their modern history because you don't bring Antonio Conte into your club and then decide, yeah, if you could just do what you can with the bargain basement stuff, we're going to get you. No, no, you don't appoint. It's pointless appointing him for that. There's no way on earth they pointed Antonio Conte with the expectation of, oh, he'll make do with what we've got. Every single facet of Conte's past and CV suggests he doesn't do that. 
Um, so yeah, this meeting will have to be one where he is convinced of where he's going because you only need to look back at I think it was Juventus. Um, there he left three weeks into preseason. One, you know, his time there. So he has got no, no hesitancy in deciding I'm off um, and and writing off the the money of you know the rest of his contract kind of thing. So yeah, I just I just find all this PSG stuff just is. I was going to say bewildering. I can understand how it annoys fans, and but it happens everywhere. All managers at some point are linked to other clubs. I mean, Poch, Poch used to be the worst at not slapping down managerial rumours because, quite frankly, if you're a manager, it makes you look better. It strengthens your position. As rubbish as it is for the club at this point in time, it's another thing for Conte to say, well, if you don't back me, look who wants me. That's all it is. It's the same with... When Poch had Man U wanted him, that was brilliant for him and, and his kind of power, not power struggle, but how the strength of his hand that he had at Tottenham. It was a good thing for him. And I don't think this is any different. I don't think wherever, wherever this has come from, whether it is whether it is from Conte's side, I'm not entirely sure whether it is or whether it comes from the PSG side, whatever, it, it benefits Conte. It does. Of course it does. Um, but for reasons that we're going to go into in a little bit, it makes no sense either, <laughs> but, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit. I mean, what are your thoughts on it? I'll stop me ranting for a bit. Uh, well, I think it's something we were expecting anyway towards the end of the season to talk about his long-term future because he's made it clear in the past, you know, especially after the Burnley defeat, what was that, end of February, when he was questioning whether he was the right yeah. man for the job and potentially he, he could walk out. So we knew we were going to come into this situation where his future is in the headlines, especially as well because everyone wants Daniel Levy to back him this summer to help Spurs hit that next level. And it's a question of whether he does or not. And if he doesn't, then you can probably say goodbye to Antonio Conte in uh, N17. Uh, so, yeah, it's for me, it's, why go to PSG? What's the challenge there? I know we're going to talk about this more in depth, but to be honest, you're guaranteed to win the League One title unless there's like an almighty collapse or you have a, a title challenge of what's not always been the case in France. I think, was it Lille who, who won yeah. it last year? But PSG, very similar to like you have in Germany with uh, Bayern Munich, the title favourite or always wins it. So apart from going for the Champions League, there's no challenge there. And there is at Tottenham and Conte's always strike me as a person who'd want a challenge rather than a bit of a easy ride, really. So yeah, it's all gonna come down to that meeting, really. Uh a big, big meeting and fingers crossed, hopefully Come August, Conte will still be at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium because he's the man really Spurs want to get back to the previous best to take them there because we've seen over the past few weeks, of the past few months, sorry, the past two weeks haven't been great given the defeat against Brighton, the draw against Brentford. But prior to that, you can see Tottenham is starting to play his way. He's... His influence has rubbed off on the team. Results have been there. And it's just then this summer adding to that, bringing in a bit more quality and helping that team go up to that next level. So, 
yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting what happens next uh, with Conte. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I just find it, I, I'm intrigued to know, and I probably will ask him this on Friday, when the players see stuff like this, I wonder whether he has to talk to them. Does he have to say to them? Because, you know, like we said, the performance has been bad enough in the last two games without them thinking, oh, well, he's off anyway. Because that would be the worst thing for this run. So I wonder whether he has to address them and say something. Um, yeah, no, actually, thinking about it now, I'm sorting out my own questions for the press conference. I think that would be a good one to ask him because how do managers react to this? Um, like I say, I, I don't know how Potts used to be behind the scenes, but I presume privately he would say, no, it's rubbish or something. You know, the, the people around Conte are saying that it's all just speculation. That's what they're kind of claiming, as as I've said, as they should. But the whole interesting thing, I think, about the pot, uh, sorry, the Conte, we'll talk about Potts later, the whole Conte and uh, Tottenham thing is that Tottenham have always, maybe Mourinho aside, looked for managers that fitted Tottenham. And I think with Conte, they've picked a manager that they have to fit, not the other way around. And that's going to be the crux of this summer because Tottenham have to become something they haven't been. They can't just keep going down this, we'll buy young players and make them into stars route. You know, we'll we'll plod along doing this sort of thing. They have to, if they want to keep Conte, and let's be honest, with all the emotional stuff within that, all the drama, all the public kind of comments and all the, and I know it winds up the fans when he says, or some of them, when he clearly believes he's better than Tottenham, certainly the current state of Tottenham. That's not great to hear as a fan, and I don't think it's the most becoming of traits for a manager. But I understand kind of where he's coming from. He's trying to drive the ambition of Tottenham. It's all a very – everything's got a message and a reason behind it. Um, but taking all of that into account and how difficult he must be to manage as a manager above him, he still spurs best hope in a, by a country mile of winning stuff. He is one of the world's best coaches, certainly in terms of league football and, you know, what he can achieve with them um, if he's got the proper backing. They could have an incredible season next season. They really could. If you think about this six months as like the groundwork being put in the foundations purely, and then he has a proper pre-season, a proper transfer window. Um, you know, I've got a piece that's probably going to be out by the time we've um, this podcast gone of all the players that could actually leave Tottenham this summer because of the rebuild that's required. Um, and normally, you know, transfer winners aren't really like that at Tottenham, but I kind of feel this year it could be different. Um, and so, yeah, if all of that happens, they have the pre-season, he's got the six months behind him, so he's not coming in fresh. It could be a terrific season. And, and you know, who knows what they could do? Who knows how kind of high up the table? Because the other aspect of this as well is that of any summer, probably in the last five, ten years, we know that every team's going to strengthen. We've got the, I mean, just even on a basic level, we've now got nine subs with five um, substitutions you're allowed to be made. That in itself means teams are going to have to make sure they've got stronger squads. So take, even taking that aside, you've got Man City, who looks like they're going to sign Haaland. They're only going to get even stronger. Liverpool, if they miss out on the title or Champions League, Either way, they're going to bring in more players they're going to strengthen. We know that Man U have got to fix their utter disaster of a season and they're going to fix it with money. That's what they're going to do. We know that Arsenal, there's been little kind of words here and there that they're going to have to spend some money to, either way, top four or not, to sort themselves out. 
Um, Chelsea will always, you know, they'll have new owners. They will be able to spend. Um, so if Tottenham don't, not even match that, just <clears throat> spend more than they normally do, um, they're going to get left behind. So they have to, all of it for me, it feels like the perfect storm in terms of, of actually being a good storm. In that I think Tottenham have to do it this summer. I think they have to. I don't, I don't think they have any choice. And like I say, I think they have to fit Antonio Conte. I think it's the only way to go. I don't think it's a case of just splashing the cash this summer as well. It's just the, mm. about being smart, really, because <laughs> summer of 2019... Yes. Ndombele, big money, Lo Celso, Jack Clark, Sessignon, not exactly worked out. Look at January, not exactly spent a lot on Benton Kerr. He's coming and made a massive difference. Kulisevsky as well. So it's about spending it right. But you're right, you can't afford to stand still in the yeah. transfer market. That's what Tottenham did in the summer of 2018. And although they did get to the Champions League final a few months down the line, it certainly had uh, a big impact because... If you stand still, the others around you strengthen and then you just fall behind. So, yeah, that's yeah, what it's, now. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's why Spurs are behind Liverpool, behind City. But three or four years ago, it was Liverpool who were behind Tottenham and quite a way behind because was it 4-1 to Spurs uh, Wembley? Oh, and yeah. then it was many years, wasn't it? About how many years they finished behind Spurs? It was a lot. Yeah, and then what they did went and signed... Van Dyke in one window, then went and signed Allison, and that's just totally transformed them. Fixed so, the areas with big signings. That's it. Yeah. And I think what Saturday showed us at Brentford is Spurs, while they do need to make some additions in terms of the starting 11, they need options on the bench because Conte only brought two players on Davinson Sanchez and Lucas Mora. Stephen Bergwijn uh, remained on the bench. Now, you, some might say that as a show of faith in the 11 players on the pitch. But I think what it does show is probably he's just not happy with a lack of options to choose from on the bench. So as well as strengthening the 11, Tottenham need uh, substitutes as well who can come on and try and influence the game. So, yeah, there's plenty to be done. No, no you're not. right. You're spot on. He's, he's not happy with that bench. We know that. I know that that's been mentioned as a real issue for him, that the bench is not strong enough to rotate within games and also, I think, rotate from like midweek matches to keep players at a similar level. And, yeah, it, it needs a rebuild. It's not, it's not rocket science, which is why I kind of... I, almost annoyed about the whole rumours elsewhere because I kind of feel like Spurs have to do what he wants this summer. I don't think there's any need for this extra noise. Yeah, uh, very much so. Uh, Tottenham, for me, barring the last two weeks, are in a good position. Just need a bit of fine-tuning, some signings and that. And it's the last thing you need at this time of the season. There's always going to be rumours. 12 months ago, it was Harry Kane. This time, it's Antonio Conte. And he does take a bit of the focus away from the top four race because Spurs have slipped back in uh, the past two games. Now, two points behind Arsenal, both got five games to go. That's what the focus should be on, getting Tottenham into the Champions League. And then, as you said, what impact does that kind of have on the dressing room, whereas they were previously focused on finishing in fourth? Now you've got doubts about whether Conte is going to be there 
in June, July. You just don't know. So, yeah, it's it's not what you need, uh, especially the final few days of April going into May. But it's part and parcel of football. It happens to every club across the country every single year. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, yeah, you can't control it. You can't control that noise around you. But I think that was maybe what Potts used to do quite well. And he used to talk about this bubble that he'd create around the team and, and the club, and it would protect them in a way from all of the outside noise. And it, it did work for long periods. But right now, I don't know. It's just Spurs. I just feel like they're brittle sometimes. And I think we're maybe we're seeing this even in the last two games when when. The games that really should be pressing this home. Think of what position they'd be in now. <laughs> they had just done what they meant to do in these last two games. Um, and yeah, I mean, <laughs> I want to also talk about, yeah, Conte and PSG as a fit in the first place, because that's one bit that really does bewilder me about it all. Look, I know that PSG, the indication is they prefer Zidane. Uh, I think they've always wanted Zidane, although whether that's something that actually comes to pass, not only because I think because of his club allegiances in the past, but also because I think he wants to be national manager, doesn't he, after Didier Deschamps uh, heads off after the World Cup, presumably. Um, But, (laughs) you know, I've always used to say that Poch, for me, didn't really fit um, Real Madrid or PSG. I didn't really kind of see them as good moves for his style of coaching. I think maybe we're starting to see that with PSG, although I know I see he's being linked with Real Madrid, and it's a bit like, again? Uh, but with Conte with PSG, the real issue I have with this, look, first off, Conte for me, as I've already said, one of the world's best coaches, managers. He is. He's he's brilliant. His his CV has league titles galore on it in wherever he's gone, pretty much, certainly for the last you know decade or so. And even with Italy, he did. He took a very kind of unfancied Italy team and did really good things with them. However, PSG, as you've already said, they don't. You know, the the league winning the league is a bare minimum. That's what they expect. I mean, we had the ridiculous, incredibly toxic thing of the fans at the uh, match at the weekend leaving the game, booing during the game in which they are winning the league title in and going outside to celebrate the win by themselves because they didn't want to be with the team. I mean, that kind of says it all about the expectation at that club and how it all is. And, and, you know, so right. So forget about the league. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You know, you could be any coach coming in, you could win the league. They want you to win the Champions League. That's what they want. That is their desire. That is their dream. That is the goal. Okay. So why appoint Antonio Conte? You know, and this is for this is for anyone out there who I'm sure you're all saying, well, because he's one of the best. Yeah, yeah, no, he is. He is one of the best in league football. I don't know why, but when it comes to being outside of league and domestic cup competitions, when you head into the European game, for some reason, it's like Antonio Conte's kryptonite. I don't know why, but he has only won three matches out of his last 15 Champions League games. So that in itself is incredible. Bearing in mind the standard of teams he has been managing, that makes that even more incredible. And then on top of that, the last time that Antonio Conte, or sorry, the furthest Antonio Conte has ever reached in a Champions League as a manager, he's won it as a player, we should state that, but as a manager, the furthest that he has reached was the quarterfinals in 2013 with Juventus. So we're always talking a decade ago, 
his best was reaching the quarterfinals and they got tonked by Bayern Munich and it was 4-0 over two legs. Um, it's like, it's just not a competition he's actually very good in. Um, and whether that's, he's a victim of circumstance, perhaps, I don't know. Whether we go back to the things we've said in the past, where maybe he's just a coach whose demands require a full week of work on the training ground, or whether his approach tires players. So maybe in midweek matches, they're not as good. I don't know. These are all just kind of guesswork. I'm trying to trying to think of some reason why one of the world's best coaches just has no real fortune or um, kind of success in Europe. I mean, the best that he's done will be the Euro- Europa League final last year when they lost to Sevilla into Milan. That's probably the the kind of the biggest night he's had in European football as a manager, which which is ridiculous when you look at the guy and he's won, what has he won? The Premier League with Chelsea, he's won Serie A with it, uh, Inter Milan, he won Juventus, was it three times? I think he won the uh, Serie A with them as well. So he's like dripping in silverware. He wins domestic cups as well. So he can win cup competitions. But European, especially Champions League, it's just a no-go area. So for me... If I'm a PSG owner and I'm sitting down to think, okay, so who's the man that's going to take us to the Champions League and finally win us this trophy? It's not Antonio Conte. I know it sounds ridiculous because of how good he is, but his name shouldn't even be on that list for PSG. And this is uh, someone myself who I'm a big fan of Conte. We're going to talk about kind of how much I'm a fan of him and how I wouldn't replace him with anyone right now in a little bit. Um, But I just find that incredible. I just find it incredible that that's the name that's being floated with PSG, the man who, unfortunately, cannot do anything in the Champions League. Yeah, I think I was actually at one of those Champions League games when he won. I think I went to see Inter against Dortmund a couple of years ago, the San Siro, and I think they won that one. Uh, but I mean, Juventus, maybe why they weren't so successful in the Champions League is, I think Conte took a took over a few years after they'd been demoted to Serie B because uh, of the Calci Poly scandal. And then obviously they'd got back, so they went at the height. And then no, around that time... Say, you're quite right. I wanted to say, I, I forgot to add this in, that quarterfinal that I mentioned was the, f- the first appearance at that stage in seven years for the club. So yes, it was, it was a good level for the club at a time, but over the course of his entire career... It's still remarkable yeah. that is the furthest he's reached. Yeah, and I think Juve at that time, the level wouldn't have been as high as it would have been, you know, five or six years ago or something like that. And then around, what, 2010, 2011, that's when Barca were at the peak and dominating in the Champions League. Bayern were also good. Uh, so there's always been some good teams in there. And well, I suppose the Champions it Are you, sorry, is it is there a hot take here that there's always good teams in the Champions League? No, but I think it's, <laughs> it's, it depends as well, the look of the draw. Yeah. No, as I well. I but I think Chelsea, I think he only had one season with Chelsea in the Champions League because when he took over, yeah, they'd finished 10th. Yeah. yeah, and I think Barca knocked them out uh, that year. I can't remember who was in the group. I think Atletico Madrid were in the group, so a bit of a tough group. And then Inter, they probably weren't at the best uh, when he was there until he, you know, built them and and put that team together where they went and ended Juve's dominance and won and won the league. Uh, maybe then, I get your point, but then he was winning 
league titles with these teams. They were the best teams in their country, but then they still weren't good enough to get further in the Champions League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's just one of those <laughs> things. We'll we'll see uh, next May when he's lifting the Champions <laughs> League trophy in there. Having a having a go at you for doubting him. <laughs> <laughs> that's with Spurs or PSG. Who's he with? Spurs, hopefully. Okay, that's good. That's good. Uh, I'll take so that. I take I take him publicly flogging me <laughs> in front of the <laughs> other members of the media if it meant Spurs win the Champions League. Yeah, okay, I'll take the hit. Yeah, but he's a quality manager. He's oh, yeah, of course that he is. that record is going to change at some point. Because he's going to be managing in the Champions League at some point down the line. So, yes, I hope yeah. so. I hope so. With Tom, yeah, right. I mean, go on. We've got to talk about the other man in this scenario, haven't we? Really? Yeah, Poch. Uh, I mean, two and a half years since he left, and it's not the first time he's been linked with a return either. So it was no. last summer when there was talk of him. Coming back uh, to replace Jose uh, before Nuno ended up getting the job, and the link's always going to be there because of Potcher's comments. What he said, I think it was five months after departing Tottenham that one day before he dies, he wants to come back, manage Tottenham, and help win the trophy. Whether that's maybe five years down the line, ten years down the line, he did say he would return. For me, it's just a question of. Is it too soon for him? I don't know because Tottenham, the setups certainly different. The team's not kicked on, really. They're probably in a similar position, really, where they were. But then again, where else is he going to go mm. at the moment if he leaves PSG? Because that Manchester United job's not there now with Ericsson Hag taking over uh, from the start of next season. I don't. I don't know whether it's too soon. Only he knows if it's too soon or not to return. It's just going to be interesting to see what the options are available to him. But if Conte does go, is Poch then the best option? Because we sent some odds yesterday for the next Spurs manager, and uh, yeah, Poch is the best option basically. There's <laughs> not a great list to choose from. Uh, Graham Potter. Four to one, Thomas Frank six to one, Brendan Rogers eight to one, Zinedine Zidane he's tens, Roberto Martinez, Stephen Gerrard, uh, Benitez. You know, if you want to go down to, towards the championship, then maybe oh. he's the one. Uh, Fonseca, Rooney, Simeone, Bielsa, Mason, Gattuso, and Harry Redknapp hundred to one. <laughs> <laughs> Forgotten about him. So you'd say from that list, then, yeah, Poch is the best option, but it's all down to him. It's, it's the timing, whether it is right for him to return. Yeah, I mean, look, some of the French reports were saying that Daniel Levy has been constantly calling Poch, come home, come home, kind of thing. From, you know, I've spoken to people around Poch. Um, I don't think there's any truth in that. I think the most that Poch and Daniel Levy have kind of shared over the last year or so has been the odd pleasant text, and that's about it. And then there's not many of those. Uh, so, yeah, now the thought of him ringing up and saying, Maurizio, Maurizio. Um, I don't know why he suddenly sounded Argentinian. Um, yeah, that's not the case. So it's, it's funny, actually. Someone asked me earlier, would you swap Conte for Poch? 
No, <laughs> no, I definitely <laughs> would not. Um, and that's with no disrespect to Poch, who I am a big fan of. But quite frankly, right now, Conte is the man to take Tottenham to, you know, silverware and, and massively improve that club. And he is in place. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't stop him for anyone right now. Um, you know, I, I think he can do exactly what he needs to do as long as he is backed properly. However, if you were to ask me if Conte were to leave, you know, if there was some scenario where he left, then yes, then Poch, I think it's probably just about enough time to come back. You know, he's gone away. He's won the league title. I know we said it's bare minimum, but it's still a league title for his CV. Um, and he's won a couple of cups last year as well. So he's kind of got that monkey off his back of not having the silverware, blah, blah, blah. So I think he comes back a different manager. I think he will have learned a lot from his PSG time about managing egos and managing big players and, and everything and and the pressure of, of big game scenarios and all this sort of stuff. Well, what's a big game? He had that at Tottenham, but maybe managing the expectations, I guess, of the pressure of being favourites in games and things like that. Um, and also, I'd imagine coming back to the Tottenham fans is going to be <laughs> would be the most easiest experience after those PSG fans. Which oh, I don't know how managers do that. That is that's incredible. Some of the stuff you see, um, but yeah, it's it is. You look at that list. Some of those names you were reeling off, and it's just like you know, Graham Potter. I think would would be a good manager. I do. I like what he's doing at Brighton. Uh, again, though, it's very much the unknown. You don't know how he's going to react to suddenly having bigger players, egos, stuff like that in the dressing room. You know, we saw that with Nuno. Nuno coming into a dressing room, even just to step up to Tottenham, I think it was just maybe too much for him. I think it was. I think the extra pressure and expectation is a bit too much. Um, maybe the same with Thomas Frank. I don't know. It feels like early days. You know, there's other managers that have, you know, there's, um, Steve Cooper as well was doing a great job uh, as well in the championship. And you kind of think there's, there's there's these good young managers kind of thing coming through. But I just think, yeah, with Spurs, if Spurs were to appoint anyone like that after Conte, because this thing, if Conte walks, whatever the scenario, the likelihood is, it's probably going to be on the club, isn't it? All fingers are going to be pointing at Daniel Levy. So yeah, the person that comes in next has to... Um, douse some of the fires they have to try to stop which let's be honest would probably be protest there probably would be stuff like that would kick off the season I think Poch probably douses a fair bit of that I don't think everyone certainly not everyone actually social media there's a, there's a few people that would be very angry I think <laughs> if Poch came back there's this kind of real mentality of not looking back this feeling of I don't know how to describe it kind of like the expression I think I've heard a couple of people put on Twitter is like getting the old, the boys back together, all this sort of stuff. And I and I get that to a degree. I get that to a sense of something you can't recreate exactly what you had, but I don't think that should rule out the fact of you can sometimes bring elements of what there were before and add to it. And I think we're going to talk about a certain player later on who uh, definitely comes to that category, a certain Danish midfielder that uh, Spurs came up against at the weekend. Um, but yeah, I don't think I don't think a different potch in a different situation um, would be the worst thing in the world. I think Spurs should just continue with Conte. I don't, you know, I just I, I think that's the answer. I, I think 
I, if that scenario does evolve where Conte does leave, there's some huge bust up, the meeting doesn't go right, I think then maybe we start to look at who else can do the job. Um, but right now, Spurs should be doing everything they can to keep Conte. And I kind of feel like Conte should be doing everything to make sure Tottenham stick with him as well, because I look out there in the job market, and yes, I get PSG is attractive in terms of there's a lot of money there. You can buy the bulk of players you'd want. Um, you are going to definitely win the league title. However, I think you, you kind of nailed it at the start of this. At Spurs, the, I hasten to use this word because I know a lot of people like it, but the project, the project at Tottenham, it's one of those where I kind of feel like a guy with his quality, allied with a proper transfer window, it would be the biggest success. Look, if Conte gets top four this season, I think it will be one of his big, biggest successes. I do, and that's just top four. Because I think what he took over in November was an absolute mess. It was a ridiculously fragmented mess of a club. And to get if they get top four, it would just be incredible, quite frankly. So I think if he were to do even more than that, it would go down his CV as one of the biggest things I think he's probably achieved. Um, which I think Marino used to say the same, didn't he, about the second place at United. It was actually probably more worthy than some of the league titles and things he'd done. And now, looking at United, he was spot on. You could see, you know, that there was. Um, it was a big deal. So, yeah, I just kind of feel maybe Conte slightly undervalues Tottenham. Perhaps that's what happens. And I feel that Tottenham have to make sure they value just how much of a game-changer Conte can be for him. There's got to be some kind of meeting in the middle there somewhere. Wherever he's gone, he's had a challenge. Juve... Yeah. Uh, the Dobbsy returned to Serie A probably a few seasons before he took on the job. So it's a case of rebuilding them, getting them back to the previous heights. Chelsea job, they'd finished 10th, I think, the season before when they just completely capitulated when Jose uh, was in charge. And then he managed to rebuild them and get them the Premier League title in his first season at the club. What was an astonishing achievement, really, uh, given they didn't have the best of starts. Then at Inter, uh, Inter, obviously Juve had dominated Serie A prior to uh, him taking on the job. And then he did manage to lead them to Serie A success. Then probably for the first time in about a decade or so it was. Yeah. So there's always been the challenge there. Yeah, the challenge. The challenge. Do you think the challenge is following Mourinho? <laughs> Listen to those <laughs> clubs you said. And, you know, he's gone into Chelsea after Mourinho. He's gone into Inter, obviously a long time after Mourinho, but he's gone in there after Mourinho. He's gone into Spurs a little while after Mourinho. And do you know what? I actually have been told by various people, and it's not just one person, that he actually is quite interested in the prospects of managing Roma at some point, <laughs> if they were to part terms with Mourinho. So maybe maybe that's one of his things. Maybe he has like a, a photo of him in his wall at home as, as the man he has to uh, try to, I don't know, re replace, I guess. Yeah, as I was saying, at PSG, the challenge is obviously the Champions League, the league. Yeah. No, you're gonna you're gonna win that. It's Tottenham for me is the one for him. He can do such a great job, lead them to trophies. He's got them where he wants. Really, there just needs to be some some additions he needs back in. Uh, yeah, it's. I don't see what he's going to achieve from going to PSG. He's just going to be an easy ride. 
really. Uh, yeah. Where else could he go? I mean, I don't. I know they're I don't, talking Real Madrid, but they're not, surely not going to get rid of Ancelotti, are they? No. Well, I think they're cursed into the La Liga title in yeah. the semi-finals of the Champions League. There's no reason to get rid of okay. Ancelotti, but you just never know, dear. With uh, Real, oh, they got rid of Del Bosque after winning Champions League okay. about 20 years ago. So, I mean, really, is limited options for him to go. Is it just a case of just going back to Italy if it comes I mean, to it? Does Juventus maybe because they haven't like smashed it this season? Maybe Allegri goes. I don't know. I did wonder whether that could be a destination for Poch. Funny enough, he's got a little bit of an affinity with uh, Juve. Yeah, uh, and as you said, Roma maybe if Jose uh, goes at the end of the season, but I don't think they're far off the Champions League places. No, potentially I think he's could, uh, in the right direction now, hasn't he? Yeah, uh, obviously they could be in Tirana next month, Europe Conference League <laughs> final. So. Their own to Tirana, it just wasn't Spurs. Yeah, yeah. so as you said, might not be that many options for him. It might be a case of Spurs or PSG. That's it, or just, yeah. That'd be great, but it won't happen. <laughs> I wonder whether Poch might be an option for Everton if they stayed up and party company with Lampard. No, I can't see him wanting to come. No. Oh, don't that look so so down on your club? There's still, still loads of time left. Six games, a lot can change. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, the nice easy games. Yeah, well, there's certainly some winnable ones in. Leeds have a, a tough run in, certainly the next three. Could do with yeah, Leeds winning, a lot can uh, change. They're not next one, but the one after would be very helpful. Against Arsenal, yes. Yeah. Yes, very much so. I was just looking at the uh, the two side-by-side fixtures for Spurs and Arsenal. It is you, Honestly, you can't predict it. There's games there that you could say quite easily Spurs or Arsenal could win, but they wouldn't. And you can look at it the other way and say that they'll go there and they'll lose and they might not. You know, like even the Liverpool game that everyone's writing Spurs off on, Liverpool have, you know, will have played their Champions League game in the week. You don't know what kind of condition they'll come into the game. Um, we don't know what exactly what the league title at that point will be like. I'm sure it'll still be tight, but, you know, you never know. There could have been a mistake made by someone. It could rotate. Anything could happen. Um, and obviously the North London derby is just going to be madness. Oh, my goodness. That stadium is going to be half the noisiest stadium probably ever it's been, but also half the most nervous it's ever been as well. It's going to be an incredible experience. Yeah, and then obviously Arsenal are away at West Ham this weekend as well, so yeah, league table could look. With no defenders. No yeah, and then coming into the game off the back of uh, a Europa League semi, there's be plenty of twists and turns, both ends at the That's table cool. anyway. So shall we get move on to the Brentford game? That's what we have to. <laughs> we, can. <laughs> we can. I was actually more enjoying ranting about Conte and PSG. Right, well, I think we need to discuss the Brentford game. Uh, obviously... <laughs> Nil-nil draw at Brentford Community Stadium on Saturday. Very similar to the Brighton game, <laughs> whereas Spurs offered very little in the final third. No shots on target again, and they just didn't look like scoring. Two games in a row now, and that's proved costly with Arsenal moving two points ahead of them after 
getting two very good wins against Chelsea and Manchester United. So, obviously, you were in West London on Saturday, Ali. Do you want to just give us your thoughts on the performance overall? Can I talk about the stadium instead? Stadium yeah, go, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> it's a really nice little stadium. It's uh, And that's not meant to sound patronising because it is deliberately constructed to be this smaller stadium to kind of fit into where it is and it's really nice uh i like it very nice people there um uh could have a slightly bigger media room but apart from that the rest was very cool um yeah it was just a really rubbish performance of spurs there's no way of dressing up as anything else it was like the final whistle at um, brighton just didn't actually sound and they just continued playing the same way and that's what really f- was the most frustrating thing because you thought there would have been some kind of reaction. There was nothing. Um, you know, I asked Conte after the game, I was like, are you not worried that the team's gone from scoring like four goals, five goals, four goals, five goals in games? And they can't even get a shot on target. It doesn't even look like they're going to get a shot on target either. You know, Harry Kane's having to throw himself at the most acrobatic overhead kicks late on to try and rescue something. Um, you know, and he was, yeah. He was just like, he kind of more looked at the opposition and said that they were put, you know, just opposition that sat back. And then he admitted to me that in training, they'd worked with 10 men behind the ball, the other, like as the opposition, to try and break them down. And it was a bit like, well, so you've done all of that and they've still gone into the game and looked like they've just started to play football together for the first time. It was so Nuno like. That was the most worrying thing. It felt like a big old step back in time. Um, and it's there's an element of predictability about Conte sometimes in these matches. Of we know that when Spurs play against teams that we know will come at them and try to attack, Spurs flourish because they've got that space behind them. I think Eddie Howe said it perfectly in the Newcastle game, where first half they did everything he wanted them to do, and he said it was almost like the worst thing that could have happened was Newcastle scoring because after that they started to believe in themselves a bit more and started to emerge and come out and try things they weren't trying. And Spurs went, "Hello, thank you very much," and they just swept up the other pitch and, uh, other side of the pitch and scored five goals. But you know they go into games against Brighton, they've gone into a game against Brentford, and those two teams have just thought, "Okay, well, we'll shove one more midfielder in the middle." And we'll just sit back and soak up what you got and then hopefully maybe go for a break. Brighton managed to score their goal. Brentford could have from a couple of set pieces that hit woodwork through Tony. There was one, oh my God, there were three corners in the first half where, you know, I'm supposed to be an objective journalist sitting on the sidelines. I wanted to go over there, grab the defenders and say, you've done three corners in a row where you've let Ivan Tony stand alone at the back post and every time the ball's come to him and he's had some kind of shot, he's their top scorer. <laughs> Someone stand with him. It was so frustrating. Um, and yeah, and I just don't get what was happening with Spurs. It's like, look, I think I think Conte would like to switch to a 3-5-2, certainly for those matches. I think that would be his ideal thing. But he doesn't have the personnel to do that properly. Because you can't shove Benton, Kerr, Winks and Hoybier together in a midfield three. It wouldn't work. It would just be three bodies standing there in front of the penalty area, essentially. And when they'd go forward, they wouldn't be able to create. Ironically, probably the players that would fit it best right now are either Le Celso or Dembele, who we didn't want, or a certain Dane called Christian Eriksen, who was playing the role to perfection on the other team in a three, in a, a three in the middle. 
Um, it just, yeah, it's that predictability at the moment. Look, I'm, my hope is that the next three games, Leicester, Liverpool, Arsenal, are going to be teams who are not going to sit back. They're not. And we may, touch wood, see a better version of Tottenham because of that. But then, you know, they will then, you know, you've got games against Burnley after that as well. You've got those kind of games where you will also, you will revert to that. And obviously Norwich away could be similar as well. Um, they've got to, they've got to learn this season how to deal with it. And one of the things he said to me as well, I think, in answer to my question was players taking on the opposition, running at them and dribbling is something, because obviously you do that, you take two players out of the game and suddenly it frees up space for someone else. And Sonny did it a few times. Sonny certainly tried to do it. Um, Kulisevsky is just, it's, I, I know. I know this is something that you're going to be kind of putting a piece out on as well about, but definitely the, the difference with having Emerson behind him to Doherty, it's like it's cut Kulisevsky off at the knees. He's just so limited in what he suddenly can do. Um, I, I don't know what has happened there and, that, and how that's affected him so much, but it clearly has. Um, it's just really disappointing. And Kane's, you know, Kane doesn't really deserve to escape the criticism as well because could argue, yes, important header off the line, uh, that acrobatic chance at the end. But other than that, you know, you need him to kind of come back and be that creator. But obviously, with a flooded midfield, he's just getting blocked in the middle of it. And it was almost like Ericsson was showing Tottenham what to do, and they just weren't taking the hint. It was it was dreadful performance. It really was. I know Conte was saying after the game uh, about when you're coming up against a defensive side, they will sit behind the ball but I don't think Brentford were as defensive as Brighton were the previous week I think it was probably more a case of the flood of the midfield and that then limited the space where Kane could get into and try and influence things but if it's not working for the front three you need your wing backs to be offering something and there weren't two weeks in a row now. Uh, so having a look at the stats, I don't think any of them, Emerson or Sessignon, did any dribbles forward. In terms of crosses, Sessignon attempted eight crosses, none found the intended target. And one of them, uh, I think it was around the hour mark, pretty much summed up his performance when he was in a really good, decent position down the left, tried to point the cross, he just went, so high over the crossbar and then not long after so disappointing. he really was then Sanchez came on to move Ben Davis across uh, what did you think of that substitution because <laughs> I know social media did not like it no I think in terms of the subs I think one of the gripes at the moment is either not bringing them all on or the timing of them you nil nil against Brentford you know to try and change things because Spurs didn't really offer much uh, at the start of the second half. I know Kane had a really good turn on the edge of the box when he then had a shot and he got deflected over. But other than that, very uh, little in terms of changes. Yeah, it, it wouldn't have been one of the changes or certainly the first change I would have made, but I can understand why Sessignon was taken up because he didn't have uh, a good... Uh, game at all uh, yeah and Conte said pre-game Reguilon wasn't starting basically because he had uh, groin, pi groin pains what did sound like <laughs> growing sounds pains like he's struggling there, yeah. 
Yeah, it did sound like growing pains <laughs> on the audio from I know Sky. He's small, but yeah, yeah uh, growing pains. So that's probably why he wasn't brought on. And then Lucas came on what five minutes from the end, maybe something yeah. like that, five to ten minutes. But he actually, were it not yeah. for a cynical foul, he was. He did actually have an opportunity. I thought he was going to sweep into the box. It, it was unfortunate that he was kind of pulled back wasn't it i should actually stress in conte's defense he did explain the sanchez substitution you know he did say that it was because he felt that spurs were in danger from set pieces they were win uh, not winning a lot of the headers that were coming in and he wanted a bit more height in there um and that was why he was taking davies out of that and putting him on the left because obviously session was very lacking in confidence and disappointing um, so i understand that i just think from a visual element for the fans and the players to see your first response, it almost felt like well, kind of what he was saying last week. If you can't win, don't lose. And you kind of feel Spurs should be aiming for more than that. It should be looking for winning and not losing. Um, I know they go hand in hand, but yeah, that kind of explained that sub. But meh. yeah, he was asked about Bergwijn as well. Why didn't yes. he bring Bergwijn on? Basically, said important to keep. The balance because if you're going to go all out attack, then there's a chance you come away with Brentford from Brentford with no points in the bag. So, mm. yeah, I just thought it's a game really where Bergwijn must be thinking, What does he need to do to come on? Yeah, because he he had a really good run in March, start of April as well, where he's scoring for his country, scored for Tottenham against Newcastle. But Lucas is always uh, the first attacking change. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it needs to improve. And then you see what Jurgen Klopp did in the Merseyside derby, made two changes on the hour mark when Liverpool needed to make them. And, you know, they both worked, unfortunately. <laughs> so, yeah, that's something <laughs> Conte needs to... I think fans probably want him to do better with in terms of the changes because five games left, there's going to be a number of games now where Conte is going to have to turn to his bench to try and change things up. It's, it's going to be no easy games coming up at all. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. It's uh, it is. It's just all a bit predictable, and that's that's what's worrying. It's like the worst possible time for everything to suddenly go a bit stale. It's like this should have happened earlier. It shouldn't be happening with like well, it was six and seven games to go um, because. I think we've said this before. We knew Arsenal were going to do something weird. After losing three games they should have won, we kind of knew that they were going to at least beat one of the teams that they weren't meant to. But to actually have ended up winning both matches has flipped it back round again. Um, and, you know, on paper, <laughs> our favourite expression, you look at this weekend and Arsenal are away with a tough London derby. Tottenham are at home. With, yes, a tough game, but it'll be against a team that is sandwiching their big European matches. You know, it should, on paper, flip around. But we know life, it doesn't work like that football. And we know that West Ham have got no defenders for the game pretty much at the middle of the pitch. We know they're going to struggle in that respect. Uh, we know Arsenal have got that little bit of momentum and confidence again that Spurs had during their great run. Um so I just, I don't know, it just really annoys me that Spurs have got to this stage and kind of stuck themselves in this scenario when they really could have taken charge of it. So frustrating. Yeah, there's games left, five games. It, it can all change. It can easy flip around. And 
it's all going to come down to the North London derby though. But prior to that, Spurs need to keep picking up the points, getting the wins, because Arsenal will be full of confidence at the moment and they'll be, you know, confident of coming to N17 and getting a win given the previous couple of results. So Just days yeah. after Spurs go to Anfield as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> going to be an interesting one. Uh, how they approach that, whether you go for the Everton approach and just frustrate them for an hour and just try and get points that way. Because, you know, if you play Liverpool at their own game, they can rip you apart. So, yeah. Spurs made really well at home against Liverpool. They did. They They did. did. And and that was with a midfield three, I think, as well. I think Winks played, and he played well that day. Um, If I feel like I remember that. Um, Who would that have been? Would that have been been Skip, Winks, and Hoybier? I don't think Hoybier played that game. Uh... Was that a Silso game? Delhi. Delhi played. Oh, yes, you're right. I think it was Delhi, wasn't it? Yeah. Delhi played and Winks had a role in the first goal after making a really good tackle uh, around the 18-yard box, I think. So, yeah. Uh, so they can do it. You know, yeah. Just, um, and the formation, the 3-5-2 kind of worked. And I can tell you right now, actually, I've got the line up right in front of me. It was, yes. Oh, my goodness. I did not remember this. Midfield three was Tongi, Winks, and Delhi. Right. That wow. is not a three that you'd imagine that, you know, <laughs> that shows my memory is just gone there. Wow. Of course, it was Sanchez at the back, Session and Emerson at the wing, on the wings, the wing backs, and Kane and Son. And they created chance after chance that day. They should have put that game out of sight. I remember that part very well. Um, yeah, Kane and Son both scored, didn't they? So yes. you can't write it off, but it's obviously going to be very different at Anfield. Um, always remember that the game there was it the one when was it Sissoko went through, and it was just him and Van Dyke, and he had Son alongside him. Was it? He had someone to pass to alongside him the whole way, and Van Dyke deliberately, very cleverly, kind of pushed it away so Sissoko had to shoot, and I think he messed it up. And that was the difference. And they went, did they score at the other end? Like shortly after and just changed the whole complexion of Spurs season. That would have been Mourinho time, I presume. Was that the one? Was Poch in charge then? Was that when was it Poch? Liverpool won it in the last minute and a Larice mistake? Was that the one? Could be. Could Maybe. Be. <laughs> but, <laughs> We've seen so many Tottenham mistakes. It could be. But I mean, last season, they should have won at Anfield. Bergwijn hit the post. Yes. Uh, True, yes. So I don't think it's one of these where it's a guaranteed Liverpool three points at all, but in order for Spurs to get some, they need to certainly turn the form around going Um, on uh, the previous two games anyway. So, But, yeah, a lot of football, a lot of football left. One player I just want to return to before we forget him, Christian Eriksen. Right, Uh, there's been a real split on this on social media, I think. I think there's some people still angry with the way he was, or the, his performances, I guess, in his last year or so at Tottenham, and the fact that, that he wanted to leave their football club. And I get that. I get that's how fandom works, and that it's being protective of your club. Would you sign him for a free transfer this summer for Tottenham? Yeah, free transfer. I think it's a bit of a no-brainer, really. Quality players had such a huge impact on Brentford because prior to him coming in, they looked like they were heading towards a relegation zone and then to five wins when he has played the full 90 minutes prior to 
uh, Saturday's draw against Spurs. Spurs do need to improve the 11, but as I said earlier in the podcast, they also need to improve the options on the bench. It's a squad game at the end of the day. It's not about 11 players. Ericsson, for me, yeah, a decision for him, really. Does he stick with Brentford, uh, show a bit of loyalty, given they gave him a chance back in the game when the others, you know, didn't look like they've gone to? Or does he make the move? Going to be interesting. Big decision. It is. It is. I think I think the key for people to kind of remember as well is that this isn't the same Christian Eriksen that left Tottenham. It's not at all. He's obviously had one of the most traumatic experiences that can happen to a human being, happen on the football pitch, you know. Uh, he's returned. He's battled back. He's kind of got this second chance, not only in life, but also in football, you know. And I think you obviously appreciate that more than anything. He's gone away, he had his experience in Italy, new culture, won the league title. Um, he's come back a winner. You know, I know he obviously won titles at Ajax, but this is kind of a different level of title. Um, and yeah, it, it's a different Ericsson. And I'm I'm with you. I think if it's a free transfer, especially to have him and the experience of coming back, I do think it's a bit of a no-brainer because. Spurs for years have been looking for someone to replace what Christian Eriksen brought. Why not replace him with Christian Eriksen? <laughs> you know, he can still do the job very well. And especially now, I feel like in that deeper role with Inter, that was what they found. That was where it Conte said it like, took him about a year to settle at Inter. And it was suddenly, just after transfer window, funny enough, when he'd been linked away last season in January, suddenly. He started playing that midfield three, and he was so vital. He was pivotal, playing in the centre of the midfield three. Um, and it's no coincidence that Inter, you know, rose to the top of the table, and they, they didn't really relinquish that spot after that. And he played almost every game, started almost every game. And I think I do think there's a little bit of a this never-go-back mentality about it, um, people being angry with him. I mean, some guy on Twitter the other day was debating it with me, but the problem was... He started his debate with, yeah, but he doesn't even start for Brentford. I was like, well, no, he does. He started five of the, well, six of the last seven games now. The only one he missed was because of COVID. And like you say, they won five of those games that he started in a row, kind of thing, apart from the COVID one. Uh, so, yeah, he is starting. It's not that he's, like, not good enough for them or he wasn't fit. He, he just had to get his sharpness back. Now he did, does. And he will probably start every single game until the rest of the season as well. Um and I do, I just kind of feel like Spurs this summer need quality reinforcements. Um, and like we, you know, we've said in the past about Sam Johnson coming in for free for Galini. Now, I'm not saying that that's a game-changing transfer, but what I'm saying is it's bringing in someone that costs nothing and is very much able to do the job you're asking of them instead of a person you're going to have to pay $11 million for. And likewise, with Christian Eriksen, if you can get him in for free, that's probably saving you 30, 40 million pounds on a similar kind of player. You can then put that to other positions, whether that's a new right wing back, whether that's a left-sided centre-back, whether that's another striker or another, you know, they may look to bring in another central midfielder. You know, I know they're still quite interested in Yuri Tielemans. You know, perhaps that's someone they look at if they get in the top four. Um, so, yeah, I, I do. I just, I don't... I think there's emotional reasons for not wanting Ericsson back. If you're still holding a bit of anger towards the way he left and the, and the way he was, yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't very good. I think we all knew his time had come to an end at Tottenham. 
probably long before it actually did, and the club probably should have let him go the previous summer, as soon as after the Champions League final, pretty much. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that right now, with what Tottenham need, and in a manager who knows him very well, and it looks like Ericsson is back to his best as well, He's contributed scoring goals. He's laying on assists as well. I do. I, I just think I think you go for it. I, I think you do. If, if there's a chance of him coming back, like you said, I think there's a good point as well. He may feel he has to show loyalty to Brentford, and why not? Or he may feel that coming back to Tottenham would be um, a kind of fitting thing. He admitted the other day he is still a fan of the club. And I know. I know he didn't end well in terms of his terms with uh, the hierarchy at Tottenham. He didn't leave on the best of terms. However. He still loves Spurs and he wants, from what I understand, he'd like to stay in London would be his ideal thing. So whether that's with Brentford or Tottenham, um, yeah, I think it would be a good move and I think it would be a little piece of the jigsaw of the summer that would fit in quite nicely. Yeah, I think it'd be uh, certainly a good addition. Right, we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Tottenham. Plenty to discuss on Antonio Conte's future potential Tottenham return for Maurizio Pochettino. We also look back at Brentford. So as ever, just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.